0: When it comes to their kids, dads don't have favorites. When it comes to their tools, they do. And the Home Depot has every one of them. Top brands like Makita and DeWalt. Exclusive brands like Ryobi, Husky, and Rigid. Even Milwaukee. With an M12 12-volt 5-tool kit, now just $199. Today is the day for do-it. And for dad. With the best selection of his favorite tools only at the Home Depot. More saving. More do-it. Offer valid through June 19th while supplies last.
1: This week, it's a wide-ranging conversation with writer and director James Oliva, creator of the psychedelic noir podcast, What's the Frequency? We're talking about the nightmare of corporatism, the films of David Lynch, noise jazz, and so much more. It's all coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey, folks. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. James and I sat down last month, and he took me for a ride. You don't really interview James Oliva so much as you witness James Oliva. He is a delight and a pleasure. Let's take a listen. So, James. Yes. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Um, yes. because you told Michaela, the pod teen in an interview in 2017 that you and Alexander Danner have been friends since you were nine years old.
2: This is correct. Yeah. Yeah. What, since fourth what's, grade.
1: What's the first thing the two of you ever collaborated on?
2: Um, well, geez, I mean, I could be, I could be, I could be literal and, and tell you that, that, uh, Alex was, uh, uh, doing something at the age of nine that. In public, that you don't want to do? Like, say, I don't know, pick your nose. And, um, uh, uh, what, saw, what's the first
1: I, creative project that oh. the two of you work together
2: on? <laughs> All right, fine, David. I won't tell the girl's story. Um, <laughs> you don't want to embarrass Alex? That's fine. No. Um, No, you know what it was? It's not so much that the, the, well, the first thing we ever really collaborated on was was role playing, uh, uh, you know, DMing and stuff like that. Um, We used to push each other with creative projects and things like that from very early age. I could say like somewhere in our uh, high school years, uh, I started doing um, poetry and Alex liked some of the poetry and then he started doing better poetry. And, uh, I was like, okay. And so then like, it was a lot of like one-upsmanship for a while. So it was a lot of me writing stuff and then going here, here. And we'd, we'd be racing to get it to one another and be like, Hey, check it out. And that's kind of the nature of our creative friendship aspect is that there's always this, uh, one of us is always pushing the other uh, into a direction where the other one isn't, uh, either familiar with or initially comfortable with. Uh, and then there's a, an element of very, very healthy competitiveness where, you know we're definitely rooting for the other guy and and you know when we read it or when we when we when we ingest whatever that bit of uh art is the other guy's doing there's that that jealousy but love sort of combo um
1: yeah i've i've heard you describe alexander as like your platonic soulmate bestie mm-hmm. yeah. if which which one of you is wit and which one of you is troubles
2: oh <laughs> That's a great question. All right, so yeah, obviously, I mean, I'm I'm I if I had to choose, I would say it's I'm more troubles than he than he is. Uh, he's definitely a lot more wit. Um you know, so there's that dynamic that he and I have, but he's certainly a lot more uh of a of a goodie tissues than than I. Uh and certainly my mouth gets me in a lot more trouble than his. <laughs> um so that that's probably fair. Yeah. So he'd be more wit, I'd be more more uh, troubles.
1: Sure. Can can I ask why why both? I mean, I know I know Kareem is Kareem, and he's wonderful. I, I'm I'm curious why both of those characters are English.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know what? I, I had a lot of reasons. Well, it's not like I wrote them to be English. I just I just wrote troubles to be troubles. Um, And then as I was thinking about casting it uh, and how I tend to think about projects that I'm going to go do is that I assume that nobody else is really going to want to do them voluntarily. So I'll have to go like recruit friends. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll play Troubles. And I was like, all right, no, 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 no. Enough of you uh, in front of the microphone. How about you just handle the stuff behind the scenes and whatnot and then um so i started thinking of like oh who do i know that could handle the humor that i'm writing here and i had a friend of mine uh julian uh uh that was in a writer's group of mine and he's he's just got this brilliant witness he's british so i started hearing his voice Mm -hmm. uh uh, as the character and then i started thinking like well why can't uh, walter just be british like that would be kind of an interesting concept of having this this uh you know expat sort of, uh, um, guy who, who's a private detective in LA, but he's like so far removed more so than anybody else, uh, in a way. So, uh, then having wit be the same seemed to be, um, the right idea considering Ica wanted them to be so interconnected.
1: Sure. Wait, to take us back to Alexander Danner though. So yeah, he got you involved with audio drama through having you audition for Michael on greater Boston. Was that your first exposure to podcast drama?
2: Yeah, uh it's so funny cuz I I never I didn't really participate in uh, really anything in the realm of of podcasting. I didn't I didn't really have a grasp as it, I I would hear it and I made assumptions about it being just radio plays, really. Um and then uh, Alex asked me to do the audio drama stuff uh, well, with Greater Boston and Audition. And I, I was like, oh, cool. Is there like a, a, a whole market for that or people like interested? And he's like, yeah, not as big as like the nonfiction stuff. And I was like, oh, really? There's nonfiction? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, oh, OK, cool, cool, cool. And I, I, I just wasn't. There was nothing inside of me that was like, oh, I got to listen now to all these podcasts. I was just like, all right, well, I'll do this and I'll have fun and and see where it takes me. And and I figured it would build because I was trying to get into voice acting, um, uh, primarily uh, anime uh, or animation uh, or um, uh, video games. Uh, And that was kind of really where my head was at uh, trying to get into that because I like character voices. I like doing much more broader stuff than than commercial work.
1: It's so Um, funny because now you're in like every other audio drama <laughs> I mean that's by I, no that's by no means an original observation right
2: <laughs> uh yeah you know uh it's so funny because I I I spent so long not being an actor and being thought of as as a writer uh, more so because there was a period of time where I Back in college, had won a, a an award for for playwriting, and then I but I was in there for for acting, for theater acting, and the department sort of shifted me. They were like, you know, no, 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 you're the writer now. So there was a I wasn't really getting cast anymore, and and so like I felt so long that I wasn't this actor who I felt like I was. Um, so here I was acting again, and I wanted to just gobble up anything I could. So. Uh, there's a lot of validation uh, trying to happen here, (laughs) like me seeking out these roles and being like, you know, like, can I do it? Am am I acting good enough? Am I I good?
1: So, James, you've given a lot of interviews on What's the Frequency, so I think that what I want to home in on in this interview uh, is the atmosphere and the setting of the show. And to start with Mm -hmm. that, uh, I wonder if you can tell me what noir means to you.
2: Um... You know, it's it's a it's slightly less literal than I think some people take it as. Like some people have a very specific concept of of noir. Um, mine is more of a. Um, I would say it's much more uh, interpretive on my end. Like I don't think the show is completely noir, uh, but it has its tropes uh, lying about. Uh, usually, um, you know like I think of noir and I tend to think of everyone tends to think of the hard-boiled detective. That's the first thing we all think of. Uh, we think of, um, but he's usually very, very ultra masculine, uh, stoic, um, in, somewhat impulsive, but count, cal- but, but like collected at the same time. So he'll like usually like explode right at the right moment. Um, Usually, um, like I said, and then some of that impulsiveness usually rolls over into maybe some of the relationships he decides to uh, go into. But usually Noir also has a, a value to it of, like, um, usually the, uh, the thing that— it, there's a MacGuffin of some kind, so it's usually something that starts the story isn't really where the story's going or what has to do mainly with the story. So the, the bigger adventure awaits. Um, it's usually pretty dark as far as, like, you know— um, which is obviously where noir probably comes from, is that uh, uh, that uh, things don't always work out uh, in, in a nice, neat way or, or a happy ending. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the main, probably one of the mainstays of, of noir that you need to uh, go along with is that the subject matter uh, is, is kind of literally dark.
1: Sure. In an in interview with Will, you told her there was this one moment in David Lynch's Lost Highway that you were interested in this bit where Bill Pullman's character does this saxophone solo and there are these wild, Mm -hmm. stuttering lights and this wailing, screeching thing. And to me, watching that on YouTube, it was simultaneously very hard to watch and at the same time utterly compelling. Um, And I guess my question to you is, what's the connection between what's the frequency and what you described in that interview as noise jazz? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, um I yeah, I think you've actually you're touching on exactly what uh has compelled me uh, and 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 in, in an abstract way kind of describes what it is that that I'm attracted to here and that's um yeah, when I first saw that I, and I I saw it in theaters and I remember uh, my initial instinct when hearing that 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 solo was a bit of repulsion. I was just like this is noise, but the longer it, it it stretched out for, and the longer that it went for, and the it paired with the imagery, um, I, I found myself sucked in, and I felt I thought I genuinely felt what it was meant to convey, and I feel like there's a power in 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 that way in in, in music, and so um, when I was thinking of uh, what's the frequency, I was thinking about experience, I was thinking about. Um, Giving uh, something that maybe isn't packaged in the most neat or consumable way, but uh, has the potential to uh, repel, then attract, but then also deepen and then, uh, you know, kind of um, bloom. Uh, as it goes, as, as, you, as you get further into it, um, was kind of the, one of the things that, that was really um, important to me as, as we went through. So it was going to, you know, st- structuring the show in a very set, much more straightforward manner and then slowly uh, opening it up into, into where you get to in the 12th episode. Um, it was meant to be a, a bit of a, uh, of a, of a, of a steeper drop, like, or, or I should say not a steeper drop, but it's supposed to be like a, 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 more of a gradient, uh, of like normal show to like just bonkers. Uh, but it's, <laughs> we started out a little less normal than I, than I had anticipated, but I was fine with it because, um, that's where I let Alex kind of like have his say. And he was just like, Hey, I did this sound design. And I'm like, Oh, we're a little crazy up front. He goes, that, that's what you said we were going to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, but not like right now. He's like, no, but I think, so it was a lot of just letting, uh, uh, certain things get, get through and then going, okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll start there. And, and we we'll, we're still going nuts. So don't worry. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that was kind of the, the concept there. So I, there's just something about noise jazz. That's just, uh, it, I don't know. It it hits me on a primal level, and and it's so. It could be beautiful, but aggressive, but not necessarily. Uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, like you listen to music, and it could be violent in a way in which that it doesn't feel like consensual. If that makes sense. <laughs> uh, what do you, like what do you mean? I feel like they go you know, like. I, well, I feel like it's not assaulted. It's not. It's like you know. Sometimes you listen to a, a song, and the song is just so abrasive in a way in which that it's meant to hurt you. Um, Whereas I think uh, a lot of times with noise jazz is that, yeah, it it may, uh, you may get gut punched or you may get, but at at the same time, it's all part of a a sort of uh, moving experience or uh, some sort of, um, you know, nebulous experience where like, it's never just this one thing. You're not just getting punched in the gut for, you know, the next seven minutes you're, you know, getting punched in the gut and then you're taken over here to the right. And there's, you're kind of like, you know, dancing a little bit. And now you're back over to the left and, you know, it, it it you're being tossed about a bit. Yeah, I like I kind of like that that a bit. I'm I also like the idea of um, uh w- with the show I like the idea of um, which also kind of lends itself into the noise jazz repel repel uh I'm sorry attract and repulse sort of thing which is uh I like the idea of things that are funny and frightening at the same time things that, that that make you laugh and go, ah, I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I like, I think there's something to that. I think that there's something sort of meaningful and it's not a, a common thing we encounter. So therefore, when we do experience it and it's experienced in a way that, you know, uh, as long as it's prepared by the right chef, you know what I mean? Like, you uh, you know, anyone can make for uh, forgois, right? But it's like... Uh, yeah, but only certain people are going to deliver it in a way in which that is absolutely like mind bendingly delicious, or you know, uh, any, any number of things. So, like, you know, with anything, you know, you can you can deliver this stuff, and it, it could be absolutely just not good, or it could be what you need it to be. It could sing. it could, It could be that that uh, bit of music.
1: Yeah, I spent some time listening to difficult prog rock today, out of a mm. desire to meditate on the question, why do we enjoy things? that are difficult to listen to. Do you have an angle on that? Right. I mean, this is sort of continuing that same thought.
2: Yeah, well, I think that we, I think it becomes like a, a something to, that, that we essentially were working on processing. So it gives us a job to do in a way, um, because we know it's affecting us. We're not sure how much we hate it or how much we love it. So in and of itself, it, it becomes a, a puzzle of some sort or a riddle to answer. Um, it's the same thing that we go through, I think, with horror in general, especially when we think about horror movies. We go to horror movies because there's a catharsis with it. Uh, we connect with it uh, in a way in which, um, for a lot of us, uh, alleviates uh, anxiety, even though it's, it, you, you, we have a tendency of forgetting that. And from a distance, we'll go, oh my God, how can you watch a horror movie? Something bad happened to you today. And it's like, well, no, nah, it's kind of cathartic, really. It, it kind of let that out as opposed to just sort of keeping it in. And I think that's what happens under uh, certain conditions and certain music that is um, uh, difficult like that. What did you end up listening to, by the way? I was curious.
1: A lot of Gentle Giant.
2: Oh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So you've already listened to that one. Though. You knew that one.
1: Yeah. No, I, this was just me meditating on it while preparing it. for the interview.
2: Yeah. I, uh, being like,
1: I, I love this and I really like what's the frequency, but like I wouldn't describe either of those things as easy to listen to.
2: No. Like pleasurable, no, I, yeah. but but <laughs> difficult. Right. Well, you have to work to a certain degree. And I kind of always knew that the show was going to be work and people are not going to want to do some work, which attributes us to why we have so many one-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, people have a visceral reaction and and i was explaining mm-hmm. this to somebody else recently is that i knew people were going to have a visceral reaction to the show either they were going to love it and it's the type of show that if you loved it you were going to love it or uh if you hated it you were going to hate it with every fiber of your being and you are going to feel like why does this exist this is the problem with with people and their pretension and you know like you were gonna you were just gonna walk uh, away from or run away from the show in, in a heartbeat um, well, I
1: feel like the movies of David Lynch are kind of the same way. So Jillian and I were talking about sure. David Lynch uh, the other day and about like our experience of watching those movies, and I find them so alienating and disturbing, and I sometimes I wonder if that's like the goal of some of those films. Did you have a particular goal in mind for how you wanted the audience to feel when they listen to What's the Frequency?
2: Uh, I wanted them to feel... Um... I wanted there to be a, a sense of um, uh, insecurity, unsafeness, but at times beauty. So I wanted to kind of mix it up between the two. So it would be a levity, and, and which I think is... And I think a lot of where I was coming from with, with this is that, yeah, I had spent a lot of t- You know, I will be nakedly honest. I did spend a lot of time thinking about uh, uh, David Lynch uh, and his work and uh, had consumed... Uh, uh, not too long before this because I had actually written a screenplay that I was trying to tap into this sort of psychedelia uh, experience of this unreliable uh, world as a horror movie. And so this is a carryover. The show is a carryover of some of the th- thoughts and ideas I had. So when I was picking apart David Lynch's work, because I think there was, a, there was like one of the channels was running a, like a bunch of different ones of his movies and such. Um, so like Blue Velvet had been on and like... Um, uh, you know, some of his other works. Like, I know Mulholland Drive had been on and Lost Highway, um, and then... Um, trying to think of what else. But anyway, the point being is that um, a lot of his films are basically, like... They're poems. I, I believe that a lot of them have, like, these poetic moments, and some of them have these very literal moments. But a lot of it's very dark comedy. I mean, almost all of it. It, it lends itself very, very well to... Uh, that type of humor that you see on adult swim that is like uh you know found footage of a, of a bear or too many cooks or uh <laughs> tim and eric tim and eric do that very same type of humor that's super dark and disturbing but makes you laugh but makes you unsettled and i i, I really ended up putting those those things together for myself and realizing that the reality is, a lot of David Lynch's stuff has so much humor that runs through it. Even when you're like, "Oh my God, it's so serious and dark," and it's like you got to take another step away and take another look at it, and then you might be able to see the fact that almost all of them have such a, a high running comedic element to them. Sure. Um, it's it's just they're also disturbing, <laughs> um, and I think there's that, that that that's just what occurred to me. So I was like, you know, I. I'm interested in playing in that field. I don't know how many people tend to really, truly play in that field. And I knew that there was probably no real podcast that was working on that at the time. And, you know, I was more or less interested in just not doing what everyone else was doing. So,
1: I have another question about, not about Lynch now, but Mm -hmm. um, more about aesthetics. Mm -hmm. There's this very particular mid-century, and I feel distinctly post-war aesthetic happening in What's the Frequency, especially as it comes across in the Spishak advertisements. (laughs) And what I take from that is this kind of Betty Friedan mad men kind of suburban ennui right like the logical extension of all that repression you take the libertinism from the war years and you squeeze it into a tract home or a new look dress and why not just go all the way and spray shellac on your dinner and so (laughs) i want i I want you to tell me about those ads and about spishak because there's a lot in what's the frequency that's responding to classic audio drama and advertisements were such a huge part of that aesthetically what's going on there
2: Yeah, you know, I have this really um, rough, uh, mostly hate but love relationship with with corporate uh, Mm -hmm. anything um, and conglomerations and things like that. So um, I, uh, you know, on one hand, I, I... It's like it's weird because I was always very much into into cyberpunk growing up. Mm -hmm. So like there's this concept and and anybody who's familiar with cyberpunk understands that corporations run the government, you know, and that's basically like how every cyberpunk story runs is that, you know, government isn't really government. It's just corporations and they make the law. Um, And so there was something kind of, I think perversely interesting to me about that as a kid. Like there was something like almost like, uh, touching fire, you know, like, and I didn't quite realize it. I was just like, Oh, I'm fascinated by it. But I think now it's, it was more like, you know, uh, that's not really a good thing. And I think you were curious about it, but you don't want that. (laughs) And, 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 and I, in fact, I, I know I don't want that. So, um, as I was writing them, they were just meant to be these, um, vignettes that were also meant to, uh, Sort of bellwether where the show was going and kind of change with the show and sort of uh, peel back layers uh, each time we see them uh, or hear them, I should say. And then um, they were also meant to uh, be cyclical. So they were always meant to have a a, re skip to the beginning, kind of similar to the Love Honor Decay stuff. Um, so this concept of, of cyclically coming back to the beginning, but then every time we come back to the beginning, uh, it's lost something and, and it's lost a bit of its veneer and therefore, it, you know, you, you, you can see it for what it is more. Um, so that was kind of the concept and of course it was meant to be disturbing, uh, because, um, for many reasons, uh, there's, there was a, a very much a, uh, you know, like the, I think they, was it, they described that era almost like, um, what is it? The golden apple or something like that, where like it, but it was like it was rotten on the inside. Like so, you, it looked beautiful and, and delicious from the outside, but you bite into it and it's just rotten. And so I, I think during that time there was a lot of that type of thing. Everyone had this sort of uh, veneer to what they saw America as and their society as. But and I and and again and I, and I am going to bring this back to Lynch real quick. Is that I believe that's a big part of what. Twin Peaks is about, uh, and especially I think it's even more hammered home as we get into the more recent episodes. Um, about the, that's why you have this modernistic fifties nostalgia, but this deep dark seediness going on underneath it all um, that is uh, disturbing. So it, it sort of gets into this whole concept of, of uh, you know, uh, looks versus uh, content. So I wanted to go for that, uh, uh, not consciously, but it was certainly I can see the line there. Um, so the concept was this idea of, uh, doing these corporate ads, um, that, uh, began to take on, uh, more, uh, gender, uh, p- politics and more, um, uh, political politics as, as I, as I went along. So it, it didn't just stay in the lane of, uh, uh, my corporate, uh, feelings. Uh, they, they, they veered off into, uh, man versus woman and, um, uh politics because at the time Trump was uh going through inauguration and so I was uh just like everybody else disgusted and, and distraught and um uh searching for some sort of sense, I guess, and feeling very uh pessimistic.
1: <laughs> sure. And that kind of manifests in I don't know, a, like a desire to, to put the MERDs to put the murders on, on some on some men. Is that how that kind of came across in the...
2: Yeah, well... I mean, I, no, know, not I to grossly no, simplify no, 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 no. it. No, 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 no. It's, I don't think you're grossly simplifying it because I, I I literally, uh, on the nose, you know, because as we go along, we, we emphasize men of Spishak, but then as we go along, we emphasize it more and more until it's just an absurd uh, 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 reference. Um, yeah, because I, I think what you have here are... You know, you still had women that were much lower on the totem pole in all this, this sort, of, um, uh, sort of class, uh, you know, uh, being taken advantage of, you know what I mean? Like, so you had, you had these families that were being sold this concept of like, hey, we are on your side. We're this wholesome company. We're looking out for you. We want what's best for you. Here's some Teflon to spray on your food. Um, and, and, and we all know historically that there were things similar to that, that, that corporations and, and, and companies had created products that weren't regulated and, you know, uh, uh, you know, poison people or, or they, you know, for, they thought that they were doing a good thing, but they were really doing a bad thing. In a lot of cases they, they were doing a bad thing and they kind of knew it at some point, but kept it going for the, for the sake of money. Um, and then you have these, uh, women that were being, you know, sold these products. And a lot of times, you know, advertising hasn't really changed. We, we tend to, they tend to prey upon our insecurities and it happens to all of us, men and women, but it happens to women in, in a, in a, in a very, uh, gross margin. And, uh, so, you know, we focus, I focused in a lot of, on that. So both the products are meant for like specifically for women and the other two are kind of meant for men. Like the Enfield number two is, the, is the really, truly solo male one, um, uh, commentary one, and uh, you know, kind of what it meant, what it means to be a man, and uh, uh, some of the uh, hang-ups and, and issues with with, you know, um, maybe even being who you want to be during that period of, in time uh, that wasn't okay to be that. Um, and then you have uh, uh, the the kind of the shared one, but it's it's meant to be like this, um, you know, uh, housewife sort of. Uh, subjugated to to her man and, and like serving her boys um, type of thing, um, so it, it deals with both I think at the same time, but uh, but yeah it was it was sort of it was sort of meant to uh, kind of embody that. Sweet. I feel like I lost the thread a little bit. Did I lose the thread? Did no, I? I don't. I don't think nope. so. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, and and similarly, I want to know what you were responding to with love, honor, and decay itself. Can You tell me what you were thinking about and responding to when you created those scenes, specifically the the one where Donald catches Louise injecting heroin, or really any any of it.
2: <laughs> um, well, you know, like
1: see, the cyclical nature of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a couple of influences here that 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 are at play. Um, a the entire show is spattered with a lot of like, uh, history of mine. Like so. I'd always felt, I'd, I'd kind of felt like with this project, like I, I had for the past two projects I had done, I'd done two bits of uh, screenplays that I, I really wasn't working on anything that was truly personal to me, just things that I thought were neat ideas that I was exploring. Um, so I was like, you know what? You you need to go back to like things that have some sort of deep, much deeper personal meaning and, and sort of um, even things of like where in somehow you're, you're kind of um, exploring yourself a little bit more. Um, so with uh with this uh there's a bit of christopher durang uh, uh aspect i don't know if anyone knows what christopher durang is i don't know if you know what christopher durang is he's a playwright mm-hmm. but uh, a surreal uh very very surreal uh he does he did the uh, everyone knows this play or at least by name uh, beyond therapy um and uh he that that was his big uh, uh play in, uh, in broadway back in the day okay uh, it was actually a f- film too with jeff goblum um oh. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there uh and uh i think um julie haggerty as well um yeah so christopher durang also did uh identity crisis identity crisis was the first play i ever got cast in in college and so um it, it was my first real experience with with this type of material plus it sang to me so uh I wanted this sort of surrealistic uh, world for them to live in, and yeah, because we were uh, uh, in the podcasting universe here, uh, I was getting into 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 some podcast commentary. Uh, I was definitely getting into radio play commentary <laughs> uh, with some of the melodrama, but um, again, I was getting more into the subtext of maybe some of the things that were going on um, uh, uh, in in families and, and in couples during that time. Uh, during that time period. And so uh, every time we cycle through, it was meant to get more disturbing and and, and sort of really kind of um, reveal uh, issues, I guess, uh, between Donald and Louise and their environment and the world they live in and um, the way they've assumed the world to be. Um, you know, where you have the scenes where they can't get out of the room or they... They, you know, she's never realized the door was there uh, she, um, or, you know, they're going through the book and there's a sky in the book and that's all they get. And so that's 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 about as much as the sky as they can see is what they see in the book. Um, yeah, it, it's the the shooting up uh, actually is a slightly literal thing that came from um, a skit that I wrote when I first moved out to L.A. Uh, I wrote a skit <laughs> about a man who, who who gets home early from work to find his wife shooting up uh and it plays out almost very similarly uh to how it plays out in Love on Our Decay uh he, he comes home and he's just like he has that ah shuck sort of response though it, it he 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 takes it out with all in stride he's like but honey but this was a little bit more like uh again i kind of i kind of retrofitted it to 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 fit with what i was doing with the show so you know donald has the uh I like his the way the actor says it and therefore the line becomes more special to me It's like but why we have money uh, <laughs> she's like um but yeah I like I, I like the idea of characters what's always funny to me is characters that misunderstand each other but mm-hmm. think that they understand each other so I like playing in those realms of like you know where he's like he's like you're doing drugs and she's like uh drugs no and like they have the back and forth and she's like no i'm doing this and he's like that's drugs and he's like no i'm doing this and he's like that's that yeah that's heroin and so like they kind of have that back and forth um i don't know to me stuff like that i, I it's it's very looney tunes uh and i, I think that's funny
1: <laughs> was that exchange improvised because i saw that you you allowed for a lot of improv in the in the show
2: um no only because well i did allow for improv um and uh a lot of it I haven't fully released Um, some people took me up on it and some people didn't which made it harder for me to really exploit it Uh, so I did it where I could and Donald and Louise gave me a lot of improv they just didn't necessarily improv that part Um, it's hard because they're not really truly working off of each other so they have to uh, kind of pretend like they might think, or know where the other person's going, and maybe I might be able to use whatever they give me, either within context or out of context, so maybe they say a line that I don't use in that episode, maybe I use it later on, uh, because it fits, uh, something else, um, you know, another bit of improv or something like that, so, but they, they, uh, Brad and and Kristen were just, um, just absolutely just uh, absolutely beautiful they were, they did such an amazing job and I, I couldn't it's such an important job that i was so stressed about whether or not it was going to work that they completely crushed it and made it so that i didn't have to worry about that part
1: <laughs> and brad is julia morizawa's husband right yes
2: yes that's, and we met at a that's wild at a yeah well because we, we met at a um a bright sessions i think it was season two rap party uh here in la And I was invited to go, and I went there, and as I was hanging out, uh, because we're old, uh, older (laughs) than everybody else, uh, we were the only only few people sitting at a table, Um, and um, uh, it was me, uh, Julia was sitting across from me, I think Brad was sitting directly next to me, and uh, they were eating, and I was eating, of course, because we're the only people eating, because old people need to eat. Um, And so... uh, I'm just, I I
1: shouldn't even dignify that, you're not old. (laughs)
2: I'm just, I'm just teasing. I like it's uh, teasing myself really. Um so, you know, at some point I started talking to Brad uh and Brad was telling me about ACX and I was telling him that you know I, I was doing voice acting work and that I wanted to branch out. And he's like, "Oh, you can get work right now on ACX." And I was like, "What?" So, him and I started talking sometime after that, especially after I got my first gig on ACX. And then um when I was because I I tend to be a, a bit of a loyalist, so like, you know, any amount of small kindness I will repay back probably with like more than I need to. But I, I, I feel like that connection. So I feel like I, you know, and I liked Brad a lot. So I just had that feeling. So I, uh, when I was writing one of the, was writing for the show, I was thinking like, all right, well maybe Brad could fit here and maybe Brad could fit there, but I definitely want Brad in the show. And you know, all he needed to do was send in a a recording of himself and I was going to put him in somewhere. So, but, uh, uh, yeah, he was. He was. I had him on the board for a couple of different characters, and then eventually I settled on Donald. And I was like, it was perfect. It was a perfect match.
1: Yeah, he's. That's great casting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've
2: I, been. I've been pretty blessed.
1: You have. It's such a cast, dude.
2: We also have um uh, uh, uh this guy uh, David Reinstrom uh, no. that showed up briefly. Uh, and, and I think I think they, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna
1: pollute this entire take.
2: <laughs> ah no no you were great you were awesome in it. Thank you. Yeah we could just do a whole improv right now David James. <laughs> um, oh
1: yeah full disclosure I'm I'm in the show.
2: Yeah 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 um, well it was the only way I can get on this show uh, uh-huh. to talk to uh-huh. you. Uh huh. No I'm just teasing I'm just teasing you were, staff, no, you were actually staff really-
1: member James Oliva.
2: Yeah, exactly that too. Uh, so I just look, to this is a work of access journalism.
1: I, I never made any claims <laughs> to ethics. I never made look, <laughs> look, look,
2: look. Look, I'm okay with it. I'm just, you know, it, I feel like I, I, actually feel like by being on right now, like I have made, like I feel like it, it's like it's been always the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of thing. Like I'm watching all these people get on like RDR, and I'm sitting there going like, when, when, when am I going to be asked to put on the aisle? Yeah, no, I was like, I'm like, oh, my God, it's like a rite of passage, David. And, it is and like, not. You know, Thank it, you. It really is. It really is. Like, I i am totally enamored with your interviewing style. I'm totally enamored with you. And therefore, like, to just be kind of like sitting back and watching shows that come out after mine being like on RDR. I'm like, what? 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 They, they get to the back of the line, David. David, <laughs> they get back to the line. Back of the line, man. <laughs> just teasing. Um, I'm sorry to have yeah. hurt
1: you by, by no. the exclusion. I, I didn't, I didn't intend that in the slightest. I'm just excited
2: i'm here now i'm here now i'm here now and that's all that matters we're here together and we got to enjoy the time that we have together that's true um I, yeah because i i am i'm really super excited i've been i've been really uh actually i've been telling my wife now for like weeks i'm like it's coming up it's coming up and then finally like every day since like last week like i think around friday i'm like wednesday wednesday's the day wednesday's the day honey she's like i know honey. i know james <laughs> come on i'm just a kid we're just we're just friends I know, I know. Well, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I, I, I look forward to talking about, I like talking about my show and I like talking about it with people that, that have like deep questions to ask and questions that are challenging, even. Oh, shit. Build because... it up. Why don't you? No, no, no. You've done, you've done an amazing job. You and Will, you and Will are, are amazing. Ellie's amazing. And anybody else who's ever interviewed me is amazing. Thank Whew. you. Um, There's... but yeah, no, no, no. These are yeah. great. I love these questions, actually. Oh,
1: good. I am glad of it. <laughs> um, okay, so here's here's a thing that I've been thinking about since I started listening to the show. In 1986, the CBS anchor Dan Rather was attacked mm. by two men as he walked home to his Manhattan apartment. They mugged him, and they beat him, and as they did so, one of them screamed at him continuously, What's the frequency, Kenneth? And every time mm-hmm. someone starts saying that mantra on this show, I keep expecting them to say the name Kenneth. Does the <laughs> title and this theme in the show of the manic mantra related to broadcast media have anything to do with that attack?
2: Uh, Anything, sure, yeah. Um. It, uh... Again, it it does in the sense of the way that you you have something and it kind of means what it means originally, but it also, you've repurposed it and expanded what it means. So I've changed uh, its representation and why its involvement is the title of my show, (laughs) but it it is directly connected to that moment um, as far as why I chose it and what I feel it it means. Um, And then you know, then I repurposed it. Um, but yeah, I, I knew, I, and I also like the idea too, honestly, is that the, um, I like the idea, I think, cause when it come down, when it came down to like naming the show, I had a had a couple of different names and they all sucked. Uh, it was like the signal, uh, you know, mysterious frequency, uh, you know, um, none of them really kind of sang to me, <coughs> but, um, I, I, I kept coming back to what's the frequency. Cause I knew that was going to be, uh, um, the line, because I thought that was kind of this um, crazy and line, is there's just something about that event. There's something about that moment. There's something about that line that just, it gives me the creeps, even though at this point it should be just, it should be overused. And there's just something about the concept of somebody coming out of nowhere and having a conversation with, or, or as if they're having a conversation with you or saying something to you that you can't, you don't know how to, how to enter. You know what I mean? Like you don't know, are we like, there's gotta be a moment there where like Dan rather was like, wait a minute. Who's, who's Kenneth? Wait, is Kenneth here? Am I Kenneth? Like just like this moment of just like reality has like fallen. And he's just at this point, doesn't know what's what. And like, I think there's, there's just something to that. That's absolutely frightening to have somebody come up to you and start talking to you in a way that's very familiar, but also you have no idea what they're talking about or, really what they're saying there's that i mean i think we all experience that moment most of us have that moment where we figure it out right but like in that moment before that we're like frightened as all shit like we're going "Ah!" you know like what just happened i just got like you got slapped or something um it's like that and I, i think that's that's there's something special to that
1: do you know the whole story behind that attack
2: I don't know. You know what? I've, apparently there is there is some sort of answer to w- what was happening with that like at post. I can tell you if you um, want. Yeah, please. No, I would love to know actually. I never I never looked it up for on purpose, but oh. at this point I think it's safe. I think you know, I think it's safe as I was going to say. I was going to say it's is safe. Is it it's it's
1: safe now back. for you to know?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so the attack on rather was carried out by a man who later murdered an NBC stagehand he was trying to get backstage because he believed that an NBC broadcast engineer, a man in Chicago named Kenneth Steininger, was responsible for choosing the broadcast frequency for the network that he believed was broadcasting secret signals directly into his brain.
2: Hmm. Well, that's... uh. That works for my show. <laughs> he spent 15
1: years in prison and was paroled in 2010 and now lives in I hope New York.
2: I hope he's doing okay.
1: Oh, I'm sure he's doing just fine. <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't found anything that would, like, inflame his imagination uh, no. on the internet.
2: No. Oh, my God. I mean, every time Dan Rather posts anything on Twitter, it... it it, it has what's the frequency uh uh tag to it and and constantly because we keep an eye on on our on our hashtag um uh, you know we have to swim through uh, a multitude of uh <laughs> dan rather responses that are strictly just what's the frequency so it's a lot oh, of us man. just going that a sucks. lot of us just going like is this about us no it's not no it's definitely not about us no 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 i'm pretty sure actually i see dan rather's name there hold on not not us so like that's that's people's idea of like a response to dan rather which i think is absolutely appalling but you know let's talk about politics now um but yeah yeah no i it it definitely the show's title definitely comes from that people usually go straight to the rem song right but rem song relates directly to that so yeah i guess even if it was about the rem song it's still about dan rather
1: (laughs) so james thank you thank you so much for joining me this was absolutely fabulous
2: Thank you so much, David. I so totally look forward to doing this at least once a month.
1: (sighs) Okay, (laughs) deal. All right, bye. Hey, if you want to support the work that James does, head to patreon.com slash wtfrequency to throw them some simoleons. Us too, if you can stand it. There's a longer interview going up on Patreon for $3 backers who want access to the sweet behind-the-scenes insanity. You can hear us talking about harrowing encounters with teachers and acting instructors, James's screenplay, Gloom, and James's favorite characters to play as an actor. That's patreon.com slash revival. Radio Drama Revival is brought to you by listeners like you, and also Suburban Ennui. Yes, Ennui, there's enough to go around. Are you frustrated? dissatisfied unfulfilled good it's working ennui it's not just for france anymore and by seeds so much potential so little space it's like a new york apartment in a packet except instead of growing resentment it grows radishes seeds can be found at your local seedware shop but ask for them by name tiny rocks that grow into vegetables please tell them david sent you And now, our credits. Our theme music is Danger Did you Do" by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. Our social media manager is James Oliva. Hey, how about that? Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.
0: When it comes to their kids, Dads don't have favorites. When it comes to their tools, they do. And the Home Depot has every one of them. Top brands like Makita and DeWalt. Exclusive brands like Ryobi, Husky, and Rigid. Even Milwaukee. With an M12 12-volt 5-tool kit, now just $199. Today is the day for do-it. And for Dad. With the best selection of his favorite tools only at the Home Depot. More saving. More do-it. Offer valid through June 19th while supplies last.